So go ahead and pull out your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. We're going to be uh, breaking into this new section of Mark. And uh, I think it's interesting that to this point in Mark, most of what Jesus has taught on have been about the gospel, uh, about his kingdom. You know, that, that core fundamental message of the, uh, you know, that he, de- he declared in Mark chapter 1 where he said, repent, uh, believe in the gospel of Christ. You know, the kingdom is at hand. So it was kingdom, it was about repentance, about believing in the gospel. Now we're going to start, he, he raises and deals with an issue, the issue of marriage. And I think that's interesting because this is the first passage in all of Mark that I can remember anyway, where it's uh, much more practical and not about our relationship with God. Not that this doesn't deal with our relationship with God, but this is the first place that he goes. Um, and I think that really gets to the fact that if you go back to the Genesis account and read the creation account, I should say, right at the beginning of, of creation, it is the creation of mankind and marriage as being right at the center of that. It wasn't created men, and then much longer later he created women, and then much later after that, this marriage thing. You know, it's like, no, it's like right at the heart of the creation of the world, the universe is humankind, and at the heart of humankind is marriage. Um, and that's what we're going to see in this text. So I'm going to go ahead and read it. Mark chapter 10, uh, verses 1 through 12. And he left there, so he's leaving what was a predominantly Gentile, non-Jewish region that he's been in here for a uh, little bit. And he went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. So he's going back into a place that's Jewish, and he's very well known there. And because of that, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. Verse 2, and Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send it to her. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So that's the that's the overview and I just want to give you what I would consider the two big points that I think go with this text. I'm calling it marriage according to Jesus. First of all, it's God's design and it is intended to be a lifelong uh, covenant. That that's the design of it. And by covenant, we mean a commitment that one makes to another. A covenant is different than a contract. A contract is a mutually beneficial agreement where, you know, that you have in business or in other types of relationships where you say, I will do this and in return, you will do that. And 
Contracts become broken when one party doesn't fulfill their obligation. A covenant is different in that a covenant is a personal commitment to somebody else that's typically not dependent on the other person's performance. In the case of marriage, God's design, his original design, he's intended to be a covenant where one person makes a commitment to the other person and the other person makes a commitment to the, to the other person. You know, you've often heard it said that marriage is a 50-50 type relationship. It is not a 50-50 relationship. It is a 100%, 100% relationship. You commit as a husband, I am 100% giving myself to you. And the wife, I'm 100% giving myself to you. It's not conditioned on your performance. And that's an important thing. So first of all, marriage is God's design. It's designed to be a lifelong covenant. And then secondly, there's God's grace. And that's provision for human sin in a broken world. We get a little glimpse into this because Jesus refers back to Moses and the part of the law that allowed divorce but you've got an original design that God made before sin came into the world. And then God's response and his provision within a broken world uh, that allows for, you know, basically caring for victims, people that are, have been taken advantage of or have been hurt because of the brokenness of the world. Two important things, I think, for us to start off with. So we're going to walk through the text, starting with verse 2. Um, it says, and the Pharisees came up in order to test him and asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? It's a very simple, direct question to Jesus. But it's important to note that their motives aren't, they're not just innocently looking for information. They're not uh, asking him what his opinion was because you know, they care. No, their, their purpose is to test him. Uh, their objective here is to entrap and to cause uh, problems for him. So this is not an honest question for them. Um, and, and I think there's a couple of possibilities there. Now, now first of all, uh, it's important to note that Jesus, again, has left the, the, the Greek and the, the um, Gentile non-Jewish region that he was in. He's come back into a Jewish region which is the region that King Herod is over. Remember, he's been made the king of this area of, 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 this, of, of this Jewish world. And uh, if you remember back, John the Baptist got in significant trouble with Herod because John the Baptist confronted Herod in his sin relative to his, his marriage. Remember, we talked about that, how Herod... Uh, saw his brother's wife, and his brother's wife was into it as well, and they, they basically committed adultery. Uh, Herod got his wife away from his brother in some way. The way. We don't know all the details of that, um, but basically stole his brother's wife, now was married to his brother's wife, and John the Baptist pointed that out, said that's adultery, that's wrong, what you've done. Herod didn't like that, threw him in prison. So maybe part of the motive here is these Pharisees are trying to get the same thing to happen to Jesus that happened to John the Baptist. They're trying to get Herod to do the dirty work that they'd like to, to, to happen to Jesus. Another possibility is that just like today, back in those days, there was significant disagreement about divorce and marriage. Uh, it, you know, it's a controversial topic today. It was a controversial topic in those days. There were some Pharisees that were more on the lenient side of things, where basically uh, a man could could get tired of his wife for whatever reason he wanted and put her out. 
like you're 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 divorced. Um, you know, Moses gave us this permission, so here's a certificate of divorce. I am divorced for you. Here's this piece of paper that you can carry around to t- show other people and prove to people that we are divorced. And so that was some of the Pharisees, and there were other Pharisees that had a much stricter view on and and basically trying to figure out, you know, we we want to do what we want to do, and so how do we get separated from this person that we have committed ourselves to previously? Um, which is kind of where Jesus goes to next. But again, let's realize that he they're trying to entrap Jesus. They're trying to test him. They're trying to uh, divide people uh, uh, right now. So let's keep going. Uh, verse 3, Jesus answered them and said, what did Moses command you? So, which is, he, he's making them define their ter- terms more and to, and to establish with more clarity what they're standing on. Uh, verse 4, and they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of a divorce and send her away. That's what I referred to before. I think it's in Deuteronomy 24 where you can look up that that part of the law. Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment. In other words, guys, this, this wasn't an ideal situation that this law was needed. You know, in, in a perfect world, we would not have needed this law. And, and that gets to the earlier point about God's grace and provision within brokenness. Because back in those days, especially in ancient Israel, uh, in, in a lot of ancient cultures, uh, women were considered uh, less than human or less than men. Uh, they were considered property. And you could, as a man, you could commit yourself to a woman in marriage and then you could basically say, ah, I'm not interested in you anymore. Just just get out of here. And that, at that point, she's out on the street with very little uh, ability to provide for herself or get, uh, you know, or, or to go forward in life with the way that their culture and economies were designed. And so Moses said, OK, let's we can't keep doing that. We need to do this certificate of divorce thing so that these women can have a means and a way forward to provide for themselves. So you've got a bad situation, uh, trying to improve a bad situation a, a little bit. But it's important to note that Jesus says that was there because of your hardness of heart. In other words, you didn't want or desire the design that God originally intended. That's why he did that. And he did that not to enable and empower men who just want to dump their wives. He did that in order to protect these women who have husbands who just want to dump their wives. Okay, important thing to realize there. And then verse 6, Jesus then says, but from the beginning of creation. So he takes it back to what is the original design here, guys. Let's, and that, I think, is a really important thing for us to realize in getting back to that first point I made about God's design. We cannot uh, measure or try to solve problems against things that are broken. We have to measure what we're, you know, measure what we're in against God's ideal. You can, you know, in the same idea that you cannot navigate uh, with the stars if you can't see the stars. Um, you can't look at a, the clouds, which are moving and, and, you know, and fog and all those kinds of things and figure out which way is north and which way is east, west, and south. There has to be a fixed standard of what north is in order to understand and really get what west is and so on. Same idea here. 
He's saying, guys, don't measure your marriage and, and the situation you're in against a less than ideal situation, which was the standard that Moses gave them. So back to the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And this is a reference to Genesis 1, verse 27, which says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, I want to break this down. Hopefully, this will make sense. But there are four ideas that are repeated with each of these three lines. One, make sure I get it selected right. Okay, here we go. One, God. The second idea is created. Third, man and fourth, own image. God created man in his own image. All four of these things get restated in different orders and different ways in this, this, this line. And by the way, this is Hebrew poetry. Hebrew poetry did not rhyme sounds like our poetry. It, there was a rhyme of ideas. So, so you, you've got, it's called parallelism. So you, you're, you're either um, parallel in a synonymous way. You can be parallel in an antithetical way. In other words, it's opposites, or it can be synthetic in that it's, it's building on ideas that have already been stated. So again, Hebrew poetry, these are ideas, four ideas. God created man in his own image. Second line, we have image of God. So that's four. He is God created him. That's man. So you got all four ideas there. Now, the third line is very interesting because he's starting to expand on one of these. All right, the easiest one to figure out here is created. That's two, right? Them, that's mankind, right? So we got man, him, them. He obviously is God, which leaves the own image where he says male and female. He's expanding on this idea that he's already said in the image of God, male and female. Now, I think that's really fascinating because um, what he's saying there is that male and female represent humankind, which is the image of God. He made us in his image. Um, we are a reflection of of what God is like, not individually, but as a whole put together, male and female together. Now in the second chapter of Genesis, he, he goes into a little bit more detail about the creation of, of, of Adam and the creation of Eve that come after that. And in each of the days of creation, he says, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then we see in chapter two that he says, it is not good that man is alone. I'm going to make him a help that goes with him. In other words, he, you know, Adam was by himself right at the very beginning and he created Eve. And all of that was meant to emphasize that man wasn't complete without Eve. And now God calls, causes him to go into a deep sleep. Uh, the text says that he removed a rib, but that word rib in the Hebrew literally means his half. You know, it's been traditionally uh, recorded as rib, but literally it means half. 
and forms Eve out of that. So I think that really what he's saying is that these, the male and female are the two halves that together represent the whole of the image of God. So God puts incredible value on his image and he puts incredible value on men and women, especially men and women together in marriage and all those things. Um, and so back back to the, the chapter, it says, From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. That's quoting from Genesis chapter 2. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together let not man separate. So Jesus does not directly answer the Pharisees' questions. He just says, guys, this should be our standard that we measure these things on. You've got to be asking the questions about what do I do in my situation, in my marriage, in, in my relationships, and what's happened to me, what's been done to me. All those huge, hard, personal questions need to be asked within the context of what was God's original design. He's the designer. He's the creator. I'm the created. And I can't understand what I sh should be, what I'm meant to be, what my marriage should be, what it's meant to be, without understanding what the creator meant for it to be. So back to that first point, God's design, it's intended to be a lifelong covenant. And then the second point, God's grace, provision for human sin in a broken world. You know, one of the uh, huge challenges that we have and, and I've had and experienced as a pastor and in churches is the brokenness around marriage. Um, there is so much. I mean, we are surrounded by it. Um, we have, you know, many people have been hurt by broken marriages and broken brokenness, not just around marriage, but also around the whole issue of sexuality. That's not a challenge just of our day. That is an ancient challenge, even as we see here in this text where the, the Pharisees are trying to entrap Jesus. Um, and um, it is easier biblically to define God's ideal for marriage. It is much harder biblically to determine what should I do if there's been brokenness. So in other words, I know what the ideal is, but what do I do now considering the circumstance of what's happened to me, what's been done to me, or what, whatever it might be. And so that's, that's an important thing to realize, though, is that God has a design, but within the brokenness, he has provided provision. And so I'm not going to go into a significant detail there, but I do want to give you this quote from an excellent book that tries to delve into a lot of these difficult questions. But I feel like this is such a great uh, way to summarize the issue. He says, when we emphasize grace, it can often come across as sounding as though we do not care about the divine standard of righteousness. When we emphasize the standard, it can come across as harsh and condemning to those who have violated that standard. Keeping the balance is a constant juggling act. In other words, we can talk about the very clear standard and we can emphasize that in a way that makes people feel like, oh man, I'm, I am broken. I'm, 
I can't live up to that or I, I am a failure because this has happened to me. I'm I am less of a person. I'm 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 ruined in such a way that I cannot be redeemed. That can be the message that comes across. Or when we go to the other side and we emphasize the grace and the provisions that God gives, it can come across as, well, I can do whatever I want now. I, I have complete license and I have complete freedom in these issues. And I think it's important, though, to realize that we have to make sure that, okay, am I letting God's standard be the thing that rules for my life? Or is it something else that I just am desiring and I'm going the way that I want to go? And that's kind of where Jesus goes next because the disciples ask him privately now about what he just said publicly. It says in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if, and if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Again, he's saying this within the context of King Herod. He was like, I just, I see my brother's attractive wife and I'm going to dump my wife and I'm going to break that marriage and pursue her. I mean, it's like, I can do whatever I want. You know, there was many of the Pharisees are just like, you know, your wife cooks you a meal and it doesn't taste great. You're getting tired of that over and over and over. You see the, the pretty new little uh, woman down the street. It's like, I'm going to dump her and I'm going to trade it in for the new one. I mean, that that is something that we see all over our culture today, is it not? I mean, he, he is making it very clear that it's like, guys, that's adultery. That's wrong. That's wrong. And uh, again, go back to what the Pharisees said. They, they were trying to test him. They're trying to test him. And Jesus said, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment to you. And that's the thing that I think we need to take away here is like, is my sexuality, my uh, passions and desires, my marriage, my role as a husband, uh, your role, and whether you're a sing single uh, a husband, a wife, whatever it might be, are all those things submitted to what God wants or not? And if it is not submitted to what God wants, then that's a hardness of heart. You know, I, I, I'm basically saying that I don't want what God wants. I want what God wants. And, and that's the thing I would really like for us to, to, be, to be left with here. And the idea that I want to really wrestle with is, have I hardened my heart to God? Is his standard in what he wants what I want? Am I willing to humble myself and realize that, okay, uh, the circumstances that I'm in are broken and they're less than ideal, but he's the one that sets the standard, not me. And is it possible that even in my brokenness, can God redeem? Do I believe that? Do I believe God's standard? And secondly, do I believe that it's possible for him to redeem the circumstance that I'm in? If you say no on either of those questions, then I think that that is a hardness of heart. That where it's like, I don't believe you, God. I don't believe that your standard is the best. And I don't believe that you can redeem me in my circumstance and in my brokenness. And I just want to close and remind us of a passage in Galatians that I think really applies very well to this idea of brokenness and realizing who we were and who we are now through faith in Jesus. 
Galatians 2, verses 20 and 21, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness were for the, through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And this is a passage that I quote a lot, but he's saying that we are now in Christ. My sin went into onto the cross with Jesus, went into the ground in his death, and now I raised from the dead with him. And I, it's not I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And if you go down a few verses, it, it speaks to this idea of marriage and male and female. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And that word baptized is is it's it's a unification. It's not just it's not the the water baptism that we practice at the beginning of faith. It, it is a bonding together. I am now in Christ. I put on Christ because of faith in him. So if that's true, that means there is neither Jew nor Greek, the things that separate us. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to his promise. So in Christ Jesus, there is no male or female because we are in Christ. What there is is just heirs of Christ. I, I moved from being a man or from being a woman to being an heir of Christ. And that's who I am because of his redemptive work. And I think that the response to that then becomes that my life is no longer my own. It belongs to him. The life that I live, I live through faith in the work that Jesus Christ has done for me. I don't harden my heart to him and say, your way doesn't work. It's impossible. You, God, you don't understand the brokenness that I've experienced. That's impossible for you to redeem. No, I say, no, I am in Christ. And I'm going to walk by faith and resist hardening my heart to him. But just follow him and trust that he is redeeming me out of my brokenness as I give my life more and more to him.